Iconic's goal, that's why I said men and women building, is I want to emphasize that we need each other. No matter what we are saying in culture, whether it's Black men talking about Black women or white feminists having problems with conservative white men, the issue is that we have forgotten how to rely on each other and use our reliance on each other to build. Hello and welcome to All the Above. I'm James Brown. Thanks for joining me. This is the third in a series of conversations on modern romance. Our goal is to talk to 10 people who work with people who have given up on love or are looking for love or, or those who found it and are trying to make the best of it. Nicole Pinkston is one of those people. You can find her at misspinkysthoughts.substack.com where she doles out advice on building iconic marriages. Nicole Pinkston, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. Did you find the love industry or did the love industry find you? Um, The love industry found me. I actually wasn't even in this realm until after I did my first book, but we'll get back into that a little bit. But yeah, it found it found me. How did it find you? Well, when I was doing my first um, ebook with Coach Felicia Killings, who is my publisher in her program, A Right Conservative, I was doing a book called Breaking Fear. And I was trying to teach others from my experience I had with my miscarriage, um, how I pulled myself up from the brink of basically wanting to commit suicide and being, you know, for myself. And so during the training for the book, she asked me, what did I want to do next? What kind of platform or leadership did I want to build from there? And I was thinking really, really hard about it. And I noticed that in the relationship space today, we have this gap from getting people to find love and, you know, get married. But we're not actually empowering people and teaching them how to make it work, how to make it happen. We see people, you know, in the red space, the manosphere, women podcasters, everyone is out there talking about their problems and statistics. But where do people go to actually get information when they're ready to get married? They're excited about marriage. They're actually in a marriage, but it's on the rocks. Where do we go to get training? And I decided to throw my hat in the ring. First of all, I, I want to say my condolences. I, I I can't imagine what it's like to go through that. It had to be just a like a, a life-changing experience. It really was. And I really believe God used it for my betterment. It was more so of, okay, you're going to go through this hardship and then you're going to use this hardship as a way to help others. You know, a lot of people want to help and a lot of people can help. But I really found that you can reach people when you can meet them where they are and you have experiences that you can pull from. Um, A little bit about me, I am a combat veteran and I served in the United States Army. And I realized through my training that good leaders and people who want to be out in the forefront have to be able to pull from their hard stories in order to reach people, not just, you know, bark orders or just tell them you do this because I tell you to. So in this relationship space, I see a lot of people say, you need to get married. You need to have a two-parent household. You, you know, fatherless households and all these other political statistics because I come from the political commentary side. But you never actually get the how to make everything work. You get the why or the you should, but you really don't get, you know, how do you pull yourself up when you're in the brink of suicide? How do you pull yourself up when life has been beating you down? How do you find love in a culture that makes it seem like it's impossible? 
And that's where Iconic comes from. Wow. There's a lot there that I'd love to tackle, including your combat experience. But I want to wait for that bit. Okay. (laughs) I I, I want to hear a bit more about the gap that you describe between finding a relationship, if I'm if I'm hearing you correct, and keeping in 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 the end goal, can you can you give me a bit more of a, a, a flesh that out a little bit more? Well, um, sure. So right now we have a lot of people that are either wanting to get into relationships, they're going on the dating apps, they're listening to the podcasts and different movements, yet. Um, there's this gap on actually how we achieve marital success. How does, like, for example, my parents have been married for 42 years. How does someone live and grow and create a social empire and a destiny with someone for that long? They go from their teenage years to their senior years, successfully navigating life. And so there's this gap of information. And I was looking for solutions. You know, it's easy to say, you know, Men are dogs or women are toxic. You know, feminism is tearing everything down. It's easy to point to problems in our society. But yet when you're looking for, okay, what do we do now? How do we move forward? How do we get men and women to stop fighting one another and actually come together as the team that they should be? You know, you don't really see that anywhere. And that's where I said, okay, I'm in a marriage. Me and my husband were best friends. We making it work every day. Maybe I can pull from my parents' experience, my grandparents' experience, my own mistakes and experiences and give others an actual formula for marriage success. You know, I, I've i consumed uh, a fair amount of your content and... You've used that phrase social empire, usually in tandem with the iconic marriage idea. Yes. Can you help us understand what a social empire is and why we need it? Well, yes, the social empire is more than just a marriage. So I use the term social empire to explain the actual family unit, the community, your legacy, your generational wealth. It's more than just you as a wife or you as a husband. A social empire is everything you and your spouse are going to work towards. A social empire has a vision, has a mission plan, has a budget, has um, children in mind, has grandchildren in mind, has their living space. And then when you have your social empire, you then want politics to protect what you're building. So I come from a political space, But a lot of times we're talking about politics and the work of government is very slow. So I decided to go back. How can we fix our own lives, whether politics works for us or not? So I said we need to start rebuilding up our households. And the reason social empires matter is because once you're starting to build these intentional unions with your mate and your children and everybody, you start to understand why things outside of that matter, why the economy matters why where you live matters, why what you're doing matters. So it's more than just, hey, I got pregnant, let's get married, or hey, you cute, we should get together. It's more of an intentional building of your dynasty. Back in my first newsletter, I explained it like how back in the day, emperors, 
and royalty. They planned out who they was going to have their children marry because they wanted their royal line to continue, their bloodline to continue to a certain goal. Today, we don't have that kind of monarchy because we are a constitutional republic, but we can still create the kinds of households where we are benefiting from the power of a husband and wife that have a vision that they're going towards. So I use the term social empire to be more specific at something that people can actually create brick by brick. And I use it when I'm talking about iconic marriages because I want to separate the type of marriage that we're creating here. We're not just coupling people up, but we're intentionally trying to be iconic. Okay, so how does the social empire differ from an iconic marriage, or is it within an iconic marriage that a social empire can bloom? A social empire is an iconic marriage, but an iconic marriage is just the husband and wife, so you build an iconic marriage, but as you two are growing your your money, your kids, your trust, your life insurance, it becomes your social empire. It becomes a, a dynasty like the like the Disney family, like the Rockefeller family, like the Washingtons, like Denzel and Pauletta. Are, they are an iconic couple. They are iconic marriage, but they then made this social empire where their son is now in movies, their daughter. I, I don't like to use celebrities so much so because I don't want people to feel like they have to be famous or wealthy to grow their social empire, but it's just... You know, celebrities are, are an easier example to show you guys. So iconic marriage is between, you know, just the husband and wife and they're being iconic when they're building their social empire. The social empire is the entire extent of everything you're creating, your businesses, your college degrees, your, you know, if you guys, you know, build a neighborhood. Is that making sense? It, it does. I it, And just to... This is to explain how, you know, how it makes sense to me. I, I didn't grow up you know, in a, like a, a pretty, a pretty broken household. I, I grew up in um, mm -hmm. a single mom. Parents broke up when I was pretty young. Mm -hmm. And when I hear your description is of this sort of iconic marriage in the social empire, it's sort of the infrastructure that you're building a around your relationship and around your family so that when, you know, you, your kid doesn't have to jump through some of the hoops that a person who with my background had to jump through, uh, whether it's sort of, uh, whether it is college or is getting involved with a business or it's or, or whatever it is the the next steps into life or or just simply going through you know your childhood you are sort of there aren't as many there's gonna there's always gonna be pitfalls there's always gonna be good ups and downs but you can nerf some of those ups and downs by having an infrastructure. A am I sort yes. of in your realm? Yes, that's exactly what it is. That's what's actually missing in a lot of communities and a lot of homes today is, is infrastructure and actual, you know, marriage is considered an institution, you know, but our institution is crumbling. So a lot of people don't know what healthy marriages look like, or they might know a couple of people, but might not understand the importance or that say marriage is just a piece of paper and they're missing the entire picture. And I'm not just saying this from, you know, cause I said I had a two parent household, but my husband, he didn't, 
you know, and I see certain ways he's navigating now with us having our marriage and navigating, you know, raising our kids and how those um, that infrastructure not being there caused us to have to navigate certain things within our relationship. So when I created Iconic, I want to help give people the tools we learned the hard way so that they can not have to go through that. Of course, life is ups and downs, but you want to kind of mitigate as many problems as you can before they become a problem. And then you have people that talks about the divorce rate and, you know, all of the problems with dating apps. And those are the after effects of us not having those infrastructures in place, especially in the black community where a lot of people have intention with pointing out our single mother home rate and things like that. Uh, you know, dating apps were on, was on my list for later, but I, I'd, I'd love to hear what you, your thoughts are now. And I, I, well, we'll start broadly. Like, okay. do you think they're a net positive or a net negative? to dating yes oh um i feel like dating is just a net positive if you go in with the intent that marriage is the end game if you're just going into dating just to have fun or just to hook up you have no vision and no direction so it's the to me it depends on what your goals are what are you courting for so yes and then dating to me is just a tool to get you to the iconic marriage you can't just jump to an economy is you got to know what you want in a person you got to know you know as a man what your vision for your your uh, mates are as a woman how do i become a wife because a man's supposed to find a wife which is a good thing meaning she has to have wifely abilities before she get in you have to actually vet people before it's just, i always call marriage a business and i use that not to degrade marriage but so people can be in this mindset that you're working towards something Do you feel that apps have at all changed that process? Dating apps? I just feel like uh, apps is just a modern tool. I feel like you just cannot make the tool the like god of everything. I feel like it can work just like any way else. I just do think that once you get like the connection over an app, you still have to meet someone to to understand them in person. So I I just like some people are worried about AI and all these things. I feel like all these things are just modern tools to get us to where you are and i would never negate trying to use a tool that might help somebody because some people you know they meet over twitter they meet over social media and some people have met the love of their life over an app so i would never say no don't use them i just feel like we have to put them in their proper perspective and remember that they're just a tool they're not going to do the work for you they're not going to maintain your relationship they're not going to make you know you can use the app to schedule like an appointment but you got to remember that you still have to actually put your effort forward. You have to actually go to the appointment, right? Yes. <laughs> you have to actually go. You have to make the appointment. You have to make decisions. You know, an app is just a tool. It's not going to do the work or to do the marriage for you. I want to, because I think that's an, that's an interesting point that sort of ties back to something you said earlier. You said you mentioned the politics to protect what you're building. Like it's, yeah. uh, uh, that's a phrase that I hadn't heard before. It, it, it puts in a lot of things in my head. What do you mean by that? Um, so 
a lot of people want to tell you to come vote and go out and pick this person. But a lot of times if you're not working towards something, like say you're trying to build a business and then you're like you're getting all of your startup funding. But now you have a politician that's talking about tax taxing you more or you, you have a politician that's going to raise property values to where you're building the actual business. At. Now you have a political concern because you're building a business. So. I'm looking at it from social to political. You then are trying to protect what you are creating because you have something that you're working towards. A lot of people who are not interested in politics or think it's too much or they don't care, it's because they don't have something that they need to save or savor for their social empire. You see what I'm saying? So I went from the politics and tried to use politics to help social, but then I was like, well, politics you know, is a whole different animal. And so maybe we start to go back to the beginning with our families, our dads, our moms, and then we create those in the structure of an iconic marriage. As our social empire starts to extend, then we'll start to see where politics is an issue. Give me a couple of examples of how politics are a direct issue on a marriage. I mean, I know you mentioned, you know, if you have a business, but but on a relationship. Um. For example, they use abortion to talk about poor teenage women need abortions because it's hard to reach children today. You know, but if this woman was more so in her protected marriage, then she wouldn't need to worry about which politician is worried about her abortion rights. Or let's see if we can think of something else like i usually use taxes because it tax families and, and it's harder and like married couples they actually benefit from having um, more finances married couples have better um, tax breaks than single couples and things of that nature but also like where your kid goes to school you know if you have a problem with the district that's in your area you know if you are starting to say no maybe i want to homeschool my child then you got to live somewhere that actually promotes homeschooling or some kind of, you know, let me go to private schools and things like that. You get, you get what I'm saying? Yes. And I don't know if I had mentioned that I'm, I'm more of, you know, a conservative than I am progressive, but I didn't want to get into the, you know, the political discussion so much to focus more on the social. No, I got that sense from your content. I mean, it, it, that <laughs> that it, it was, uh, it not even, I wasn't even thinking so much conservative. I was thinking more traditional. That's uh, um, uh, that. That's sort what, of yes. That's what mm-hmm. that's what I got from it. But you, you, but you classify yourself as conservative. Yes, but okay. um, that's more ideological wise, not more so what political party to vote for or anything like that. Fair. So. I, I, mm-hmm. I, because I, I, uh, you know, I've, you know, I've had as I mentioned at the top, I've had several people on to talk about love and relationships and and trying to make it work. How do you feel that ideology factors into that? Um, it factors so much more onto what um, each individual in a relationship feels their role is in relationship. You know, I talk traditionally, but obviously if I was a combat vet, I was still not a like stay at home mom. You know, I was a career woman. I was independent. I didn't, you know, look to a man to pay my bills or anything. 
But once we got into our situation, into our roles, we did what was comfortable for us. You know, so I'm not going to be the one to typically say, you know, tell your wife to stay home. So that's why I didn't want to stay for you saying more traditional, but more so what works and functions for your relationship. You know, so I believe that when you have your values in alignment and whatever that is, I'm not, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to say you must be. You know, when you have unity, you have like the equal yoke. You have two people working towards the same goal. You're not playing tug of war with he wants me to stay home, but I am a career woman. And now I got to choose between my man and my job. You know, instead you have a man who is okay with you having money and bringing it into the social empire. And then you guys navigate, you know, how y'all going to make that work with kids and daycare and things like that. So it's more about intent. I think I see a pattern here, obviously. We get to your iconic marriage, your social empire, and you get all that by paddling in the same direction, essentially. Yes. Are there other elements of an iconic marriage that you you that that uh, that you you would like to highlight? Is there? Oh, so um, one thing I believe is that you actually have to love each other and the other gender before you can actually be a leader inside of the relationship. I see a lot of people discussing relationships online and they don't even sound like they like there's men talking and grieving and they don't sound like they even like women mm-hmm. or there's women that are talking, you know, about men this and men that. And I'm like, you know, you sound like you don't even like men. You know, we have to get back to understanding that men and women aren't enemies. You know, we work best together. Like you're a guy and you're interviewing me. You're a male. I'm a female. You know, we work better as social creatures depending and leaning on each other but we've been fighting for so long that no one wants to put the swords down and get back to what works you know and everybody wants to be the one telling the other one what to do and not listening and hearing and in taking what we can from each other you know I, I tell men sometimes women lean more into that masculinity because they don't have the masculinity around and a lot of women can't embrace their femininity more when masculinity steps up and then some men feel like their masculinity is being challenged in today's culture and i'm like if you're really a masculine man you should be able to figure a way around that you know but that that's no here nor there but iconic's goal that's why i said men and women building is i want to emphasize that we need each other no matter what we are saying in culture, whether it's black men talking about black women or white feminists having problems with conservative white men, the issue is that we have forgotten how to rely on each other and use our reliance on each other to build. You know, um, as I as I listen to you describe, especially that last bit, it 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 it, it, it screamed Kevin Samuels to me. I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Kevin or the. Late I, Kevin I know Samuels. of him. I don't. I don't know like the the body of his work. I know he was, um, in the manosphere, and I know sure. that he was in that. But I don't really um, listen 
in depth as much as I probably should yeah. to other relationship coaches. I'm just trying to describe my own thing and then just help from my angle. Yeah. And it's, it's kept me busy. So maybe I should um, listen to him, but mm-hmm. I'm not so much putting blame. I think that w- which would separate me from others. I'm not saying men did this and women did this. I'm more saying, okay, everybody stop. <laughs> Let's figure out what we can do to come back together and unify because I believe marriage is a life hack if done right with the right person. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the goal of marriage is worth us putting, you know, our unity in the forefront more so than what we're fighting about. If that makes sense. It does. Uh, for our listeners sake, Kevin Samuels, uh, the late Kevin Samuels, he died a year ago. Um, uh, is was a, a relationship guru, definitely in a manosphere-ish space. And the thing that overlaps with you, Nicole, is sort of your description of sort of, and I, I certainly agree with it, where there seems to be these tension between the sexes. And it's not not simply black women and black men or or white women and white men. It seems like there's across the board, across society at the moment, there seems to be this tug of war uh, that's kind of the opposite of what you're describing the the need for in terms of iconic relationships of, of what should be, what our roles are, how we should fit together. Um, very much, it feels like we're not listening to each other, both sides of the sex, both sexes, and I, I th- that's where I, where I see the overlap between some of the things that I, I heard from Samuel's and and you, um, not not in whole cloth, but but um, but uh, at, at least in, in a bit. Um, uh, uh, do you understand what I mean? Yes, I see what you're saying. Like, um. I would never try to speak for a man. I'm a woman, obviously, but I'm just speaking from my own marriage because my husband and I were best friends. And I just feel like when we, you know, try to decide to do something, for example, like say we want to pay down some bills, we come together and we just make a plan where we both discuss and we, we talk about it. You know, I think we spend so much time trying to, well, women don't accept accountability or men are too brokenhearted about women. We're so out there ready to put in the forefront the things that we get wrong, the things that we suck at, even though we're imperfect human beings. You know, I would never say that I do everything right in my marriage. But what I think I get right is that I'm willing to effectively communicate my needs to my husband and where he can meet them and then vice versa he tells me what he needs and then we plan and we work towards that goal if the end goal is the end goal for us to get married and for us to have a successful relationship or is the end goal to make women look bad or is the end goal to make men listen to me you see what i'm saying yes so I, I think see what you mean oh go ahead yes i see what you mean so i think you know, for the audience, it's went from, okay, we have these issues. Maybe we messed up somewhere along the line. 
I don't know if it was feminism. I don't know where. But everybody's stuck in pointing out the issues, the outreach, the demasculation. Women got to do this, that, and the other. That we became bogged down with just that. That we've forgotten how to build up relationships that we want to have. We've forgotten how to um, love one another. We've forgotten how to talk to one another. That's why I give, you know, relationship based on effective communication, emotional intelligence, you know, self-love. We've forgotten how to love ourselves as women, as men, individually whole before we even link up with someone. You know, how do we negotiate something that we that's a hard line for us, a boundary, and get that reciprocation from our spouse? You know, we've forgotten basic humanity. How do we talk to someone when we want something? What What is love? You know, I did a whole article breaking down 1 Corinthians 13, what love is from Paul's point of view, because some people don't even remember what that is. You so of- my thing is not so much figuring out who is wrong or where our flaws are. But it's so much going back to the beginning. And can we love each other again? You said another phrase there that's going to stick with me for a bit that I'd like <laughs> to, to, to spend some time on. We've forgotten okay. basic humanity. What a statement. And you went on to talk about some of the, the small things. When did you come to that conclusion? Um, just trying to navigate social media, trying to, you know, take care of my own family, trying to step back being a mom. Um, when I was writing my book, um, Breaking Fear, to um, break it to people, I was talking about fear for a while. And then I realized that a lot of times we are macro people but we are forgetting the micro stuff. And if we get back to just those basic things, then we will figure out, you know, the big stuff. Just like I was in the political space first. And then I was like, let me take a step back and go back to our households and our families. So I was trying to find an angle that wasn't being talked about, you know, and then I started seeing like men saying this, women saying this, people just at each other, throat on social media, you know, I'm on Twitter a lot. And I was just like, what happened to us liking each other? Forget dating. I'm just talking about being friends, you know, talking on the phone, just, you know, even as children do it, you know, a child could make somebody mad and then the next day they friends again. You know, what happened to that? So that's why I started to talk back from that level you know, I think we've gotten so angry and so um, upset as an American culture that we've forgotten how to do the opposite. Fascinating. I, because I, I, I do see that in a bunch of different ways. I know you're you're not in the political space anymore, or at least not directly. But politics is certainly one of those levels where where it seems like we're not even liking each other anymore. Mm-hmm. It does seem that way in a bunch of different directions. Like I was just talking about this earlier today, how 
it seems, where did everybody go? It seems like we're all sort of torn apart. Mm -hmm. That we don't have these places where we come together anymore. Mm -hmm. Where uh, meeting new people away from the internet seems almost impossible. It seems like at least where I live in my part of the world, I live in in, in Western New York. It feels like uh, where everyone's a bit more guarded. Like uh, there, it's not what I remember when I was younger, and I and I wonder some of it is just being older. I'm in my late thirties, versus you know being in your twenties or, or a teenager. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like there's a culture change where. I'm not sure we actually do like each other anymore. And we probably don't. And I do think a problem, you know, the internet and being online all the time is part of that. Cause I do feel like that's more of a, you know, a forever online type of way of living than actually, you know, real life. When I live in um, middle Georgia and like, if I go to the store and stuff and I just talk to somebody in the checkout, it's fine. But you could post, you know, something on Facebook and, you know, I like pancakes. And then the next person is like, well, what you trying to say about waffles? And you're like, hold <laughs> up. That's, you know, and I probably stole that from someone. But my point is, like, in real life, people aren't the same, you know. And I like when Dave Chappelle hate him a level when he said that Twitter isn't a real place. And I think he was basically telling us to go touch grass, you know, mm-hmm. go, you know, log off for an, for an hour or two. Yeah. So, um, and I think engagement and monetization, you know, being popular online comes from the drama. Um, I had this thought about how, like, what I'm saying about marriage is different from, like, love and hip-hop, where you see people on there, like, throwing glasses at each other and and fighting, and everybody's like, oh, I don't want that kind of relationship where my girlfriend's hit me in the head with a, (laughs) you know. No one does. Yeah, no one does, but that's what they're putting out on on entertainment, and then we're consuming it. And somebody who wants a relationship is seeing that. Like, is this what marriage is? Oh no, I don't want this. So, I created iconic basically as a counter to that, and say, oh no, relationships don't have to be like that at all. You know, me and my husband actually like each other. We actually like spending time with each other. We actually make each other laugh. You know. Is there such a thing as an iconic marriage without kids? Yes. Um, I believe children is a decision and also a blessing from God. Like um, in my first book, Breaking Fear, I talk about my miscarriage because I want to let women and men know that, you know, pregnancy loss isn't the end all be all of your relationship. You know, um, I went through a period of infertility and I had to come to the realization that children are, you know, not always up to our bodies. Like I had um, my daughter four years ago and that pregnancy was very difficult on me, you know? So I don't believe, you know, even though I'm talking about social empires, which would include your legacy of children, I don't believe that that negates people who can't have or even don't want to. I believe you should want kids if you want them because people who don't want children will raise them very differently than someone who wants to have a child. Just like I don't push marriage on everybody. You know, a lot of people say everybody should get married. I'm the last person to say that you have to want this. You have to want a legacy. So I would never. And one of the ladies um, I'm good friends with from college, she's at like 25 years and her husband and her and her husband have a great marriage and they don't have any kids because she can't have any. 
So I would never say that. It's just I got a section in my iconic ebook manual. If you subscribe to the uh, newsletter, you can get it that talks about parenting and help parents navigate because the weight of children can make or break your marriage. But I, I, I wouldn't say that for people who don't have children. I'd like to get into your coaching work. And obviously, okay. obviously it's a, um, you have the newsletter and, and you do coach couples. And I, and I also wanted, wanted to focus on, on black couples in particular. And for those who don't know, we're, we're both black. It clears that our, it's clear that our marriage late rates are very low. What do you attribute that to? Um, I attribute it to our system. Actually, the government, you know, messed around with our marriages and our families in the 70s and the 60s, you know, but I don't believe we're stuck. I would never say that we're stuck because of what the government has. You know, Black America has a specific unique history with in the United States, but um, I do want to point out that Pew Research has said that 39% of households are now two-led parent households. The millennial generation and Generation Z are working towards, you know, back towards marriage. We have a lot of famous people like Kevin on the stage, Beyonce and Jay-Z, and a lot of other people that are promoting positive love. But um, particularly in the Black community, you know, with our fatherless rate being what it was for so long, a lot of people just didn't have that infrastructure, even if they wanted to get married, of who they could look towards. They just had grandma and or auntie so-and-so. And so we didn't have those certain, like, I'm blessed that I had my parents, but my dad, you know, his parents were divorced. My mom had her parents. So you get a mixed bag in Black cultures. You got some people who've been married for 60, 70 plus years. That's why I wanted to also create Iconic for people who are seasoned vets. I need you guys to step up and come over and talk. Because once you guys start to tell your secrets and to talk about your healthy relationships, I think us in healthy relationships, we're so busy and bogged down. We're not in the forefront of these relationship conversations. So people don't get to see that it actually there are couples out there that are, you know, making it work. Um, so the black community has a lot of things to overcome and still work toward. But I would never say that we can't and we don't. You see successful black communities like in, you know, central Maryland and other places across the country. So we are reversing some of these numbers. And I often ask people on my Twitter, why are the punditry class not telling you guys that things are getting better? Why are they not giving people that hope that better is out there? And I'm not saying if you're single that that's bad or that you have to be married to be better. But I'm just saying that if that's something you want to do, you can Are there things that pull us apart that pull that don't pull about pull apart relationships in other races? Um, I believe we got pulled into some stuff that really wasn't for our culture to boost numbers. I believe like when the beginning of suffragists started, it was more of a white culture kind of situation, and then the women didn't have enough numbers so they started to bring in you know and then we had black feminism 
start to go on the rise. And then our men were also dealing with the prison, the school pipeline through, you know, um, the misdiagnosis of just mental disorders like ADHD and things that we had to crack epidemic. We just had so many things outside entities put on us. And even if you look through slavery, you can see that black couples were still trying to be together or you see slaves run away to try to find their families and things like that. And then during Reconstruction, when we were trying to figure out what to do with this newfound freedom and freedmen, we're trying to, you know, build and then it was torn down at every chance it got, you know. So outside influences started to trickle into our culture. And now we have stuff at the forefront of that's not necessarily our culture that is guiding our culture. Like a lot of people say, well, the music industry is this, that, and the other. And I'm like, we don't really own that, though. You know, not to give us an excuse for what our kids are consuming and what we are buying and what we give our money to. That's not to absolve us from that. But it's just so many outside entities that came in and was like messing us up. Now, is there toxicity from some women today? Yes. Is there toxicity from men today? Yes. And those are issues that we need to hash out within our community. And I think things like um, the Dear Wifey program podcast and his events where he has a lot of marriage coaches and family coaches and life coaches on there is one good start. You know, I've seen a lot of other married couples starting up podcasts and doing their love, you know, things. And like what I'm doing with Iconic, we need these type of things to show people something else. You know, we can't just say, go get married. And people are like, but how do we make that work? How do we? And that's why I created my e-course as an actual thing to coach directly to couples. So that way, at least they have something to pull from the next time they go against something. Are there archetypes or buckets of people or couples that you encounter? Oh, yes. Um, So I have a lot of friends from when I was served in the military that I've seen as they've been married over the couple of years. Um, my siblings are married. I have um, single friends, too. You know, a lot of people I've met through doing some of the political work, like Sonny Johnson and her relationship. You know, I've um, done a couple of spaces where people came in and was like, oh, well, I've been married for 20 such and such, and such years. If people I've been following for years, I didn't know if they were married or single or not. And they starting to come forward and say, your con- content is helping me, you know, come forward. And so... I don't pull necessarily just from me and my husband. I also do, you know, I go look at Focus on Family, Marriage.com. I look at Psychology Today and pull information from different areas. I don't just give you guys my, you know, just my take. You know, I try to pull from different types of resources to give people a more balanced picture. And I want to be honest and upfront and not just give you, you know, just the fairy tale, fluffy, butterfly stuff. I, I think what I, what I meant by that question there was when you encounter people that you coach. Oh, okay. Do they have, what do they have in common? Um, they usually know there's something going on in a relationship, but they know they love their spouse and they, they want to reach out before they go to the divorce line they usually have either miscommunication maybe 
you know, they're not, their spouse is not receiving what they're, what they're saying. Maybe they've been fighting. Um, sometimes it's insecurities or sometimes issues pop up that they didn't see coming. Like one day the other spouse just say they're not happy and they go, why are you not happy? I thought everything was good. So the commonality I see with um, couples that have reached out to me is that um, they're just hitting a snag and they don't actually know how to unsnag themselves, basically. Or they are scared that if they attempt to do it on their own, they're just going to make it worse. Is there a, a, a typical point in a relationship that they're at? Or is it all over the place? Um, Usually it's people who have been in a relationship for a while. Maybe they transition in, in their career or transition and do a stage with their kids. Um, from what I can tell, it's usually something else. And then the relationship is either put on the back burner or the relationship issues have been expounded. So it's usually a transition. Like they got together young and now they're in their thirties or they got together and the, the spouse was in college and now they graduated and they're trying to find work and they're struggling or, you know, a lot of people have issues through the pandemic that been exposed during the lockdowns and things like that. You're a combat veteran, as we mentioned earlier. Are there elements of that experience that rub off on this kind of work? Yes. The one thing that I use a lot is leadership and what real leadership looks like versus this idea that is just telling somebody what to do and they just follow you. Um, I had to go through leadership training to get my stripes as a sergeant and the the leadership for the military was specific for that but I was able to pull from what I learned leading in a war zone leading stateside and like kind of tailor that to you know how a couple can make that work and I think it's been a little bit successful especially with civilians who don't understand the pressures of or the weight of being a leader. A lot of people think that being a leader kind of gives you uh, the ability to push off certain things onto others when actually the, all the the responsibility is actually on on you. And then when you t- take ownership of what you can handle and what you control, you actually get your power back. You know, if you think that all of your relationship is mostly on what your spouse can do or what the political class can do or your lot in life can do, you don't feel like there's anything you can fix. You know, in the, the main thing that we're taught is that we want to all come home. So we all want to do things that get us home. So when you have like that, you heard me talk about vision and mission. That's where that comes from. You know, when you have a focus on the angle, which is either, you know, buying land, having children, you know, being able to provide for your grandchildren. When you have that focus, you can train towards that. And then you can focus on your social. You're not worried about someone else's big old cute butt 
or you're not worrying about, oh, this guy over here got all this money. You're not distracted because you're focused on your mission for your family. Well, it's a shame that you're not worried about someone's big old cute butt, but I would imagine in, in, <laughs> in combat situations, that would be a liability. Yes. You could you could get someone hurt. You can get yourself hurt. You can ruin the whole mission. You can give the enemy an advanced uh, space. Um, a lot of times people think that your job dictates what you do, and we didn't always do that. So you learn how to cross work. Like I was a, um, just, I was a, um, a cook. You know, so you would think that I would just go over there and make food, but they had civilians doing that. So then they took us cooks and they just put us all in different kind of jobs. Like I pulled security for a while. You know, I had to make sure I actually did good security or somebody could have snuck through the gate with an explosive device or I pulled security for women voting over there. And, you know, their culture is different than ours. So a lot of the females were scared to be so confident in participating in Iraqi elections. I was just about to ask. Uh, so you served in Iraq? Yes. Any other uh, conflicts? Mm-mm. Just Iraq. I went twice. One to um, southern Iraq and Talil, and then um, Al-Akbar, I think it's called, Al-Assad base in the middle of Iraq. Yeah. For how long? Um, the first time was 13 months, and then I think the second time was 11 months. How'd you make that decision? Um, to join? Yes. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, I was in college and then it wasn't going well. And so I dropped out. And then the army came and just gave me an option and was like, well, we can pay for your college to go back again. And I was like, okay, I was 20 and I wasn't doing anything. And you know, when you're 20 and you're young, you're not really thinking about a lot. So I said, okay. <laughs> and I know that sounds like not an amazing, heroic, I wanted to serve my country story, but that's the truth. <laughs> but I'm imagining that there is a fair amount of people who had a similar story to that. Oh, yeah. So I always um, joke, they say, you know, about the college student loan thing. And I was like, well... I had a way to pay for my college. <laughs> so, and I, and I, and I did it. I went to college after I got out. So. What years were you serving? Um, 2006 to 2011. I did five years. Wow. What's it like for a woman in the military? <sighs> um, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot, but um, just like anybody in the military, I think who your leaders are and who you listen to matter. You know, I ran into some very bad people and I ran into some very good people. And one of the good people is, is now my husband. So we served together and we were actually um, in the same unit together. So, wow. Um, as a, yeah. <laughs> is that how you met? Yes, that's how we met. Wow. So, um, and I feel like they always joke and tell the guys that if the army wants to issue you a wife, they would. And I said, look what they did to us. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's our, our running joke. And, um, 
But as far as me being a female, I personally was trying to just do me and just, you know, but, you know, you you get called out as being a woman and you you do the best you can. And, you know, I do feel like they they try to either have really, really good female soldiers and then really, really bad ones. And I was like dead in the middle. <laughs> and, you know, um, it's it's very hard sometimes because people remember the men and they remember the males and they remember the guys that serve and I always have to tell people men and women or service men and women and <laughs> but um I was just blessed with some good leaders that came in my life and for the all of the things that I could point to that were bad I always have that balance with with the good I would doubt that you had the opportunity, but I'll ask anyway, did you get to go off base much? Um, you talking about overseas? Yes. Um, I did. My commander had a group that was always going on convoy, so they made everybody go. I didn't go often, but I did go a couple of times, you know, in the convoys. I went the first deployment and the second deployment. We wasn't really doing much, so everybody was just going out. And so I went out a couple of times. So, yeah, I seen the countryside. I seen what the actual, you know, country looked like. And just I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> Can you describe what the country looks like? Um, or what do you recall? It looks like a desert. It, it looks completely brown. It looks like one color. <laughs> just um, brown? It looks like a... It looked like a war zone. It looked like a country of people struggling to survive. Um, it was really heartbreaking sometimes to see the kids. Um, I felt like we were, you know, a lot of people don't like the nation building and things like that, but I felt good about it because I felt like we were able to actually, you know, do something other than just fight over there. Um, whenever you think that we have it so bad here, there's always somewhere worse. Let's just put it like, I'll just put it like that. Um, there are areas in the United States that look like it, like very deserty and everything, but there's no like signs and stuff like the green signs we have on the highways and things like that. It's like you, it's real monotonous when you get to some of the roadways, like you could end up falling asleep because it all looks the same. So America is beautiful in different ways all across our country that are way different than than that country. I mean, there's beautiful. I've seen, you know, the Euphrates River. I've flown over it in some of the military planes. And um, it's just an experience you'll never forget. Uh, and forgive me if I if I asked. I, I'm not sure if I did. What What branch? I was in the army. Okay. Wow. What a picture you paint there. <laughs> just fat, just not fat, but flat brownness, you know, as far as the eye can see. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, they have, like, little areas that look like marketplaces with, like, where they're selling things and stuff like that. But... I think what I'm describing is more like when you're on the roadways and it's just like, yeah, like a flat blackness unless you get to like more of a city with like brown buildings and homes and things like that. 
Well, Nicole, any famous last words? Um, yes, I believe marriage is a life hack if you do it right with the right person. And everything you do, please be iconic. Well, Nicole Pinkston, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to all of the above. Let me know what you think wherever you're listening and do me a favor. Share it with a friend. You can follow my work at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. Paid subscribers get access to bonuses, including 10 the Hard Way, our members-only show. You can reach me at james at rochesteraccent.com or jamesbrowntv at gmail.com. You can also leave me a message at 585-484-0339. We might have you on the show. I'm James Brown, and as always, be well.